Hello, hello, hello. Conversations with Alaskan gardeners beaming out over the airwaves. Sounds of growth, sounds of seeds starting. Boy, it was cold this week, but boy, was it beautiful. Absolutely stunning. And standing in the mouth of the greenhouse and looking at all those little baby lives coming alive. You know, it's always they, enjoyable. It's just wonderful. That part is so grand. This is our call-in radio show, a nine zero We're going to talk about landscaping and gardening, potatoes. We're not potatoes and rhubarbs. And rhubarbs, lilacs, roses, rhododendrons. If you want one of those yellow rhododendrons, you better speak up, because I've only got a few of them coming. How many do you have? All, I got uh, 10 coming. Okay, I'll take them all. They're already four of them, <laughs> five of them, six of them are already taken. Oh, well, I'll take all the rest. Okay, and the purple ones, the incredible purple. They're so pretty together. That purple the and yellow y- is stunning When together. they're in bloom, yes, you know. It's not all about just one plant. It's about mm-hmm. the whole tapestry. And, and as we have uh, practiced over the years looking for things that are going to do well in southeast Alaska that are not common off the grocery shelf items, some of these things really stand out. And oh, okay, we good morning. We got a already. call already. Conversations. Hello. Good morning. Can't hear anything. I hear you. Oh, okay, good. Give me a bit more volume, can you? Okay. Yes. How are yeah, you? I'm trying to get some tips on the whether or not I can spring transplant uh, raspberry starters that are shooting up around the uh, other raspberry patch. Absolutely. Where's your, where's your house? I'm living on a homestead outside of Huna. Oh, that sounds great. Doesn't it? You know, Huna's like the tropics. You you can grow anything there. So I don't think it's too early as long as the ground's not frozen. That's why they call it Huna Lulu. No, so, it's it's. Uh, I'm sitting on a point that gets all day sunshine. Uh, catches it coming up and catches it going down. The you're, garden you're, that I have planted. You're just <laughs> you're just making everybody jealous. You know. I know. You are. But I uh, I was told I couldn't. But uh, looking further at Google, it, it looked like I could. I just want to know the best way to transplant these before I start hauling the ones from home out here to the homestead, well, digging them out. Okay, the best way to get started is get the soil ready first before they even show up. So the one day Where are you going to plant them? Where they're, where they're going to go. So, uh, and then when you take them and you put them immediately in the ground, don't let yeah. them sit around and, the and first water thing them you, well. The first thing you want to do is to look at one of them. Just choose one at, at kind of the edge of your patch and dig down very carefully around it and see how far back it is along that stem before there's a good amount of roots. Because you want a good amount of roots on every stem you transplant. You don't want to cut it off above where the roots are, then it'll just die. You need to get a fair amount of of root on it. And as a lesson in practical transplanting, if you have the time, the ideal thing is to go back closer to the parent plant and cut the the little stem free but leave it in the ground for a week and that way it has time to uh, get get more accustomed to being on its own before you disturb the little bit of roots because transplanting is all about water management and and, uh, when you dig up the plant just the very act of digging it up 
is going to destroy those hair-like roots, which are the ones that actually absorb water. Those are ones that are smaller than what you can see. So what you can see has little tiny hairy roots coming off of that, and then there are little even teeny tinier roots off of that. So what you're going to do is to move that plant, put it into its new spot, and with the water it has inside its own body, it has to then establish, grow new little roots in contact with the soil around it. Follow me? Yeah, I got you. We're going to put them in. Um, we're building a box so I don't get what I have at home where I have raspberries sprouting up all the, all over the place uh, out of control. So this will be a row of boxes uh, inside of a... I've got a raised bed of 55-gallon drums cut in half because we're seniors. And so we have raised bread bed with 55-gallon drums filled with dirt. We hauled uh, a whole pallet of uh, topsoil good clean stuff from Home Depot last year in a couple skiffs and uh, then mixed it with some of the black black dirt that you get here around Huna. That'll be great. Sounds great. And also since it's about water management when you do that, then you put some kind of a shade thing over it for about 10 days. Something that lessens the sun's impact so that they are transpiring less. You can use uh, white plastic, you can use shade cloth, you can use burlap, you can use branches off the cottonwoods or off, I mean off the evergreen trees and make some kind of frame so that they're in a shady area for at least 10 days after you transplant them. Okay, sounds good. I thank you very much. Okay. Thank oh, you. Also, and let us know how they do. And uh, send, send me an email and tell me you want some of the time-release fertilizer packets because we have some organic time-release fertilizer packets that you can put down with these new plants that will give them a year's worth of fertilizer. I've used a lot of that 832.16 in my other <clears throat> mixing it into my potatoes and uh, beets and peas uh, containers, growing them out here, and carrots. Is that, that good for them? Well, you'll notice that, that uh, all that 8% nitrogen <laughs> is immediately available. And by the time it's it's dissolved in water and immediately available, three weeks later it's gone. So you're gonna you get that initial flush and you get some bound up in the plant and there's some residual that's bound to the soil, but a lot of it just washes down the irrigation stream. So if you have something that is a slow release form, that's going to give you slow nitrogen fertilizing the whole se- season long. And even in the winter time. Right. Well, okay. we've got. Uh to help it out, we've got pick seaweed off the beach, and we grind it up, and we throw it into the tubs. That sounds like heaven. Sounds like heaven, buddy. Okay, talk yep. to you later. Thanks. Thanks for right, calling. There are so many microclimates and so many absolutely succulent little places to live. I know, but who knows, really. It is. Really great. So um, Cake is like that, too. Yep. Just... You can see why people live there. So, <laughs> why do they live in Juno? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, gold. That's right. So, uh, okay, back. So let's to- talk about other kinds of exciting news in the vegetable area. You have been talking to the potato grower oh, out of Fairbanks. Yes. My favorite potato grower. My favorite potato grower is a potato scientist, and he grows uh, twenty-five kinds of potatoes as potato seed and he grow he starts off with 
clean little sprouts out of tissue culture that are already virus clean, so there's no infestation in them, and grows them up to be small seed-style potatoes. And these you can you can either cut them or not cut them depends on on what your own particular theory is. But but uh, I was talking to him yesterday, and he was talking about how you control for size when you're planting them. That some of these varieties, particularly ones like the Susitna or the yellow yellow fins, will grow a potato up to two pounds, which is exciting to dig up, and certainly makes you feel like you got a gold. I can't imagine a, a gold two-pound nugget, a two pound potato is the size of my foot. I don't know. It would make me quit eating potatoes. They're so big. <laughs> and he says, plant your seed about 11 inches apart. And that lets you have potatoes that come 20 to 25 to a plant and give them ones that are the size you want to put on the table. And um, he has some new varieties this year. He's even developing a new variety himself. A new variety that's going to be the most dark yellow kind of potato you can get. So uh, and it's called uh, Daisy Goldie. No, Daisy Goldie is the old, is the one that's readily available now. His new one is is called Susitna, Susitna Gold. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's not available yet. Uh, a little bit of it. Yes, I'm going to buy some of them. We'll see what they lo- look like. So it'll be a really dark yellow flesh with a white skin. And then we have the. Uh, well, isn't there a Molly one? Amazing Molly? Or that's a- right. And those are fingerling potatoes. Magic Molly and Magic Myrna. Now, Magic Molly is a product of the University of Alaska breeding program. And it was bred particularly for our soils and climates. And when you look at the potato, it's a crinky little thumb-sized potato. But boy, are they tasty. That's great. So... Uh- you are in and they're purple and there's did i say that they're purple no you didn't the flesh in them is purple so there's also butter balls and uh, antique german butter balls yes uh-huh and there's fingerlings right and there are red skin with yellow flesh called red gold and red skin with white fresh called chieftain and that's also an alaskan variety so David's going to post these on our website, right? The you varieties, betcha. and put in your order so that he holds. So they'll them be for here you. by next weekend. He'll be here by next weekend, so you're going to want to get them, right? And you had somebody come by with rhubarbs yesterday. Oh man! Oh man! What a conversation that was. Yes, uh, my friend is married into one of the the pioneer families here that had. Uh, uh, one of those truck farms out on the peninsula above Auk Bay. And uh, he was a, a, a gold miner in Wrangell and a gold miner here. But by the time he settled in, he went into the, the produce business. And these rhubarbs that Jim's giving me are a uh, product of that homestead variety. And they're the really, really so old variety. So turn of the varieties. century. Oh, even older than that. Oh, turn of the century here. But the development of them was older than that. And the uh, our oldest rhubarbs are ones that have are green. green stems with little bits of red fleck in them. And really, really sour. Oh, really sour. So they'd know, be really I like to eat rhubarb raw, just to pick it and eat it. But these are so sour. It's like eating grape stems. So they'd be great that. for pies. Oh, great for pies. You'd have to sweeten them somewhat well, or put something else in them. But, I, I do but sweeten the, things. But their flavor <laughs> of them is just going to be tremendous. And we have some rhubarb that we got from the European uh, distributors that we deal with 
that was from the 14th century. Champagne. Champagne. That's what they used to flavor. They used to flavor champagne with rhubarb stems. There you Isn't go. that something? And the, the rhubarb, this is that rhubarb. For pink champagne? It, it is. And this rhubarb is so sweet to taste. Way sweeter than any I'd ever had before. And last summer, we had, I don't know, 30 or 40 cans of it. And uh, if you break one off and give one to somebody, there's no way they weren't going to say, I want that in my garden. I'm going to take it home. <laughs> even somebody that was kind of, you know, a little hesitant to even put it in their mouth. And, oh, that's kind of dirty. Yum, yum, yum. Eat it right up. <laughs> and as from that same guy, I mean the European distributor, you were digging out your... Uh, Beauty of Agincourt lilac starts. Yes. And they came through the winter just beautifully. And the fat little buds on Mm -hmm. them look so exciting. They're ready to roll. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we've met somebody who's enmeshed in the the whole production line. And his his particular spot in it is to grow the shrubs uh, from the propagation size to the small size, which he then sells to people that grow them on to bigger size. That have big roots. Great big roots. Big roots. Little tops and great big roots. Right. And, and they come in, uh, they look like uh, planting tubes. They look like uh, the kind of things you would get for revegetation and reforestation. Okay, so, so our call-in number is... Oh, yeah. You're 907. just <laughs> 907-586-1800. There we go. Okay, so uh, Landscape Alaska is looking for employees. Everybody in the world is looking for employees. We're looking for someone that wants to have fun. This is the most fun kind of occupation you could ever have. Not only do you get to work outside, vigorous, exciting outdoor life, but you get to learn about all this really, really fun stuff. And you get to work with Margaret, who's going to be the Who most isn't so fun. much fun, believe me. Oh, yeah, she's lots of fun. <laughs> and you'll work in other people's yards. You'll work in our, our nursery. You'll do propagation and planting, loading and unloading, moving stuff around constantly, and then go into the garden working. And we plant and we prune and we mow and we edge and we fertilize and all those kinds of gardening tasks. And if you want to know how to do them really, really well and effectively, come work for us for a season. You'll really get an education there. And plus, they who work for us get first access well, it's, you know, they get to have the best that we bring in. You have to like being outside. I mean, I love being around the plants and, and find them inspiring. And I love seeing how big they get and beautiful. But you have to like that. And if you're not somebody that likes that, then it's not the job for you. But if you think you might like to learn about horticulture, we're the people. We're the and, people that can teach you all kinds of things. And remember, one of the prime concerns is you have to like being outside. You've mm-hmm. got to like being outside. This is not a job for somebody that doesn't want to get wet. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? You it get gets wet. wet here. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, si- send me an email. You know, I'm really, really into having some more employees. We got, we got work galore. So, so we um, on. are placing our orders, our, shipment, our first big shipments at sea right now. At sea now, right. And we're getting ready to have another one go next week. We're going to be handling evening primroses, which will be the first here. And they'll be for uh, exciting to see if they will actually flower and keep. And come back and come back. And come back. They're going to need really sunny locations. They're going to need to be under the eave where it's dry. 
Um, there's zone four and zone five. Zone five is kind of pushing it, but a lot of people are in zone five here. Uh, they're not for the faint at heart, but they're really going to be beautiful. And they get about about two, as tall as I am, two and a half feet tall. Well, you're um, a little bit taller than that. <laughs> <laughs> different ones are, right. have different heights. They are. And, one's and, four feet. Right. One's and two and a half. I used to work at a in a botanical research lab, and one of the, the guys that was the, the one of the PhDs there was focusing on evening primrose varieties. And he had about 200 varieties of them. My mother had them in Portland. They were and they're beautiful. fragrant at night. Uh-huh. They bloom They bloom every day. And the blooms only last for a day. And the fragrance coming off of them in the night is a sweet, lemony aroma. So anyway, we're really excited about that. We also are going to have some white uh, japonicas and some Miller's Red japonicas, which I'm real excited about. Now, both also. of those are true primroses. Mm-hmm. The evening primrose is not a true primrose. It's a different plant group entirely. What is it? Aenothera. Oh, Aenothera. Um, and and it's, uh, I, don't have, I don't even know if it has any other relatives besides that. <laughs> well, we'll look it up. That's right. We'll look it up and we'll ask them next but time. But I'm excited we'll about pull it. pull their genes down and look at them. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so uh, all that stuff is coming pouring in. It's uh, it's such an exciting time of year. You know, we haven't been able to get access to plants for three years, really. I mean, ever since the pandemic, we could only get kind of the workhorses of the perennial world. But now it's like the horticultural world's opened up, and we're going to get to have all kinds of new exotic things and i'm so excited me too and violas those beautiful violas the name variety of violas attain viola with its incredibly cute little face i like the purple face. one with the orange face that's really really cute it's kind of taken off of the one called the joker from years ago oh remember that one mm-hmm. for those of you who have dealt with us for a long time do you remember when our greenhouse we used to have the big 100 foot greenhouse across from the safeway store we would fill it up with pansies in the springtime. We'd actually uh, fill it up like in early March. The weather wasn't as bad then. And they would be sitting there kind of awake and asleep at the same time. And then when the spring actually came and got warm, they just exploded into big flowers. Absolutely. And walking into a greenhouse filled with pansies in bloom is another one of those olfactory events. What an aroma. Makes you feel like we are all bees. 586-1800. Call me up. If you remember that and you had an experience, you remember when we used to have the kids' birthday parties inside the greenhouse? Golly, that was something else. Now we're going to have to have your birthday inside the greenhouse. (laughs) It'll happen. It'll happen. We'll all have birthdays this year. And if you have interest in things that we ha- don't have here yet, make sure to transmit those to us so we can see if we can find them. I have some antique apple trees coming this week. Oh, how exciting. I do. I am excited. Uh, Ash kind? Mead's Kernel, which is Ash a, Means Kernel? Ash Mead. A-S-H-M-E-A-D. Oh, and it's a, a medieval variety from England was one of the parents of the Cox Pippin. You mean even before Johnny Appleseed? Oh, yeah. Kind of about, right? about Johnny Appleseed's great-grandfathers. Uh-huh. Great. Mm-hmm. And a couple of other varieties. I was able to get my hands on them. And I'm really excited about that. You know, some people collect cars. Some people like to collect paintings. 
we collect plants. Oh, yeah, that's true. And uh, and then we dig them up and move them around when we move. If, uh, if you've been to our nursery on the Back Loop Road, up that long driveway near Goat Hill Road, you'll see the Japanese maples that we have that are mm, over 100 years old. And they're... Fifteen feet. Well, that, we're not a hundred years old. I mean, no, we haven't had them, them all the time. <laughs> no, we've, but we've had them here for forty years and moved them around. Yes, we have to, time after time. But they were already big when we got them. Some of this stuff we had to, you know, go back to the guy that's got them year after year and say, "Come on, sell them to me. Come on, just a couple. Let <laughs> me have right. some. Come on." Okay, so we're going to be available at uh, at Landscape Alaska this afternoon if you want to come and talk to us. But really, we're not quite ready yet. We've only got uh, our overwintered stock, but we're cleaning up and getting ready. The new material is not on hand yet. But you can call me up and talk to me. Next weekend, though. We By should next have weekend, we should have that material up and ready. So be ready for it. We're going to have a lot of blueberry varieties. We've got a lot of gooseberry varieties. We've got a lot of current varieties. Mm-hmm. And we have... We have uh, maybe a half a dozen Montmorency cherries. Do we? Yeah. Oh, good. Big ones. So Big um, ones that look great, have big buds on them. And the uh, Accolade flowering cherries, which uh, is Dave's the, favorite tree. They need water. We need water in Montana Creek. Uh-huh. So, 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 and what about strawberries? You going to order some bare root strawberries? You betcha. Great. Good. Okay. Everything's happening. Everything's coming along. So, uh, if you want to reach out to us, our email address is landscapealaska at gmail. If you look at our website, you'll see some pictures of the, the work from a couple of years ago. I haven't updated it with last year's work or even the year before that. But the, the work that Margaret did in the last couple of years is staggering. And if you look at the Capitol building downtown... And remember how those hydrangeas looked last summer blooming around them? Oh, and we're going to be able to have those. They're called Sweet Summer, which they start out really creamy, and then they get a little blush on them in pink. Not like the quick fire that actually goes darker in the fall, but it stays light and lovely all summer long. It's really And the pretty. flowers are tough. The flowers can take the rainstorms beating down on mm-hmm. them. And they're big. They're probably oh, 10 inches tall. They're big. Yep. Yeah. They're they look tough. like a, like a glow-in-the-dark kind of a flower. Yeah, they are. And pairing that with those uh, bright gold crocus underneath them, a great combination. But back to my favorite cherry trees. The cherry trees, the flowering cherry trees that don't set fruit so that the bears don't come and attack them, are the very first things that bloom in the year. And we've got them planted in various places around town. They're part of the Millennial Grove, which is by those stairs that go up to Calhoun. There's a, a the tree. The library in the valley has them. The library in the valley is surrounded by them. Right. There's a tree planting group here in Juneau, the Juneau Urban Forestry Group. And they have been planting trees at various locations for Arbor Day celebrations. And that that uh, millennial grove was done at the bicentennial year. And there are a, a selection of trees in there. If you want to look at it and see some of the kinds of trees that you can have around here, that's a great place to look. And also in the cemetery downtown, there's a bunch of trees in there that are one of a kind for Juno trees. 
So let's talk about uh, the low-maintenance landscape design that we have been trumpeting for the last few years. If you want to have a landscape that you can can uh, enjoy yourself, enjoy walking by on your way to your boat. <laughs> you know, that's really the goal, is to have a landscape that can kind of take care of itself. You're going to take care of it for the first couple of years, and after that, it's going to just be happy by itself. So Margaret designed a landscape that mimics Eagle Crest, looking at a shrub mass that's about knee-high, something that you don't have to worry about, but it's going to crowd out the competition. It's going to hide the weeds. It's going to cut the sunlight off to the ground so that the the plants we call weeds that are kind of adventurers, horsetail and buttercup, they don't even have a chance. If they, they do, do get started, who cares? You'll never see them because the, the shrubbery will close its leaves over the top of them and they'll get choked out. Okay. So that's a good one. We're very happy with that. And uh, in order to do that, that's one of the reasons we went to that guy with the uh, small shrubbery because you can afford to plant those kinds of shrubs in your yard as if you were planting pansies. And it's nice to have uh, a framework of some larger plants of the same kind that you're planting the smaller ones with because you want to make a cover. But, you know, it's more affordable to be able to mix the two different sizes. So you have a prominent presence in a couple of big plants and then fill in the space around them with the smaller ones that'll, in a couple of years, catch up very nicely. And one of the ones we really love doing that with is called Spirea Glow Girl or Spirea Tor. And those are... But the Glow Girl really, the name says it all. The fall color on the Glow Girl is stunning. It is. It's orange and gold and pink all on the same plant at the same time. And the, the and mass it's plant... Sterile. It's, it doesn't throw seed. It oh, yeah, flowers, white flowers. That's a, that's a really flowers. big deal. But spireas, you know, are real seed throwers. And the old varieties, the Golden Mound and all of the Pink Princess and all of those, really throw out a lot of weed seed. I mean, to me. Because if you have a gravel walkway or another bed or whatever, they're gonna it's going to grow there. And uh, having spireas that are sterile is the cat's meow as far as I'm concerned. Right. Stay put where you put them. Mm-hmm. No spreading around. It's, and you look around in the garden and you see volunteer shrubs and you think, oh, are you something that I want or don't want? Or do I want you here or don't want you there? Am I going to have to dig you up and move you? Or are you going to become a weed? Or am I going to uh, pretend you're not there until you're too big to move? So sterile plants in the garden is really a big plus. Well, for shrubbery especially. And really life is changing. You don't want your primroses to be sterile or anything like that. You know, you want, or they're Himalayan poppies, you know, that seed that gets thrown and you have more of those, that's what you want. But in terms of shrubbery, you don't really want your shrubs to be spreading out all over the place, especially here where spireas just go wild. Don't they, though? Uh Uh-huh. And pretty soon they'd be just like buttercups. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was pretty impressive you were saying the other day you remember when there were not dandelions mm-hmm. down the middle of Egan. That's right. So it's only been 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there are. Now there boy, are. Boy, and people no, don't even like I have them cut. And I they're just, not even going away now. <laughs> and they're going off into the wetlands. Right. So we talk about the uh, kinds of perennials 
that are most popular around here. Two minutes. And uh, primroses really take the, the top of the list there. There's so many kinds of them, and we're such an ideal place for growing primroses. But there's a lot of others, too. There are delphiniums and foxgloves. Lichnus carinaria. And bleeding hearts. And astilbes. And ligularia. Lilies. Mm-hmm. Oh, the list a goes stilby. on. It's dreamland. We're coming to the end of our show for today. And we'll be back again next week. And uh, Margaret and I are reachable, like I said, through the email or through the website. And you can touch us anywhere you want. We're always glad to talk about gardening and landscaping. But this is the end of our show today. And until next week, this is David Lendrum and Margaret Tharp and Landscape Alaska. And we're wishing you all happy gardening.